With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ultimately, like when you're struggling, you can't really win with with fans. Plus, I love to score the game because it just keeps awesome. me engaged. I've got to pay, I got to pay extra attention. Brian Price in the New York media. <laughs> Ooh, be, oh man, now this has to happen. It'd be the best 45 seconds on record. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to Artificial Turf Wars episode number 18, the podcast that can fit seven baseballs into one hand. I'll let you picture that for a second, and I will let you know that we are joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh? Hey. How are you? Yeah, your usual self. And Nick Dyka from Baseball Perspectives hey. Toronto. How are you, Nick? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me, guys. Hey, no problem. Welcome to the I program is the correct word. Can't be a show because we the can't. The I program? So were we Apple sponsored? Yes, absolutely. Because if you, <laughs> hey, if anybody's going to sponsor us, we, we got no traction on that avocados from Mexico thing I tried a few weeks ago. None. Sweet. So Apple, call us up. Um, this week, we're going to talk about a very recent revelation to us as we're recording about Aaron Sanchez from uh, Ross Atkins. Uh, Marcus Stroman, is he improving or not? Uh, Gavin Floyd did not improve. As a matter of fact, he is out for quite some time. We'll get into the details, and a couple of other relievers might be coming back. Uh, Devin Travis, the return of the hitter we knew last year. We have an interview with Sportsnet's Hazel May. Been working on that for a while, so we're looking forward to you hearing that. Uh, we, as usual, have listener questions, a do-over, and possibly even a final thought. Where shall we begin? We shall begin with the fact that uh, we're a day early, so they've only played four games, and the the Blue Jays are one and three. How are you feeling, Josh? Well, first off, I'm a little discombobulated because we're recording this on a Tuesday. I, was like, I, I don't know what's going on here. But in general, obviously, it sucks. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they, they, you know, and it's one thing to lose two of three to Chicago, which was bad enough, but then they blew the game against Colorado. So, you know, they, it's one thing they, they didn't get blown out; they just lost games they should have won so nick how do you feel about this bullpen over the last week as compared to i don't know say the two weeks previous where things maybe were looking a little better well i I think it's definitely something where you know not only is it physically the same guys doing it but you know none of it's come as kind of a surprise there's there's nobody back there uh you know other than asuna that you know was pitching like you said well in the two weeks previous and not so well in the last week uh it doesn't when you have the guys back there that you've got, I think this kind of volatility is to be expected, and it's not really, you know, out of the it's it's not out of the normal range of outcomes for guys like Storm and Biagini and Floyd before he was hurt to to kind of oscillate in performance like like they have, and it's not, yeah, it's it's just like I, ultimately I think this is kind of the performance you're going to get from that crop of people uh, or of relievers. Which is interesting, though, because with with Storen specifically, it's not at all what anybody expected coming into the season because he was remarkably consistent with Washington. Oh, right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm meaning kind of this, this new the, version. Storen 2.0? Yeah. Fozzie Bear. Not, not throwing as hard. and uh... Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Fozzie Bear. The, the, well, the he, bigger that but beard But he doesn't gets. want people, he hits them. Yeah. Oh, last night. I don't want to get into too many details, but when you hit two guys with two strikes on them in the same inning just that kind of thing drives me up the wall as a as a fan it's like what happened yeah like, but, and he hit did he not hit one lefty and one righty yeah and the lefties with a fastball which was really weird <sighs> so you say something there nick oh i was just saying that like as a fan this is kind of like nothing you know in the last 
in the last four games has been particularly surprising. Um, you know, this this is kind of the bullpen that we have. And mm-hmm. given that, like, I'm just, other than Osuna, you know, I, nobody comes in where I'm thinking this is locked down. And, you know, I don't even, I don't even think I'm mad at, at or upset at guys, you know, like Storin and Chavez when they, when they give up ding-dongs anymore because it's that that's that's kind of who these guys are and you know they're not they're not the shutdown bullpen of the yankees or the royals or anybody like that and so my thinking is if if we want things to improve you know we just kind of like kind of bite down and hope cease gets back here soon (laughs) Uh, not just brett cecil you have you have almost taken my segue uh we've tried everybody we we have franklin morales potentially too right yep and they are the one thing that this bullpen really, really lacks is a guy who can consistently get left-handers out. And John yeah. Gibbons has been riding for a whole, now three months, without a guy who can get left-handers out. Yeah, and it's, I mean, his door on yesterday was facing two or three lefties in a row at one point, and he, lefties, he turns them into Mike Trout. <laughs> you know, they they they, they just don't, don't have that guy. And if you get Brett Cecil back, all of a sudden you have an eighth-inning pitcher, ruddy or lefty, and then Franklin Morales can come in and he can really handle left-handed pitchers because he throws hard and he's got that big curveball. So if those guys are healthy, which they seem to be healthy enough, Franklin Morales had 10 pitches to face the minimum today in AAA, then, you know, then you're in good, well, not good, but at least passable shape, which right now they are not. So I will give you the the depressing slash uh, impressive stat of the the night um, on the last sort of note on the bullpen here. James and T.O. tweeted both of these out because he's always my source to for Jay's stats. If you don't follow him, what's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> number one, the Jays win leading after six innings are thirty three and ten, which is kind of depressing. Bad. No, the bright side is. Nobody except the sh- the Cubs has had a lead more often after six innings. So if they do manage to get to average with the bullpen, uh, the rest of the ingredients are there to to keep you know to give them a lead on a regular basis. I don't know if that's you know that happy, but it's happier than you know, well, being the White Sox, I guess. Oh. <laughs> All right, so our breaking, sorry, past week, we've already, uh, you know, I tee things up in a certain order, and now we're everywhere. Someone who's not going to the bullpen is apparently Aaron Sanchez. So saith Ross Atkins. Thoughts, Josh? (laughs) Well, yeah, he didn't say he's not going. Let's, Let's make that a little clear. What he basically said was that as long as everything is looking fine, then they're not going to, which we've sort of talked about this on the podcast in the past that, you know, like if his release point and his velocity and his spin and all of that stuff stays the same and there's no indications that he's wearing down, then there's no reason to move him away. Now, Nick, when you hear that from Atkins and then you hear Gibbons talk, do you think that possibly there's a, there's a discussion that hasn't happened there? It, it sounds to me like that there, I feel like we've heard a lot, like over the course of the year, you know, because Ross Atkins' comments today are, are the latest in like a series of comments from Gibbons and the front office, like leading up to this date. It seems like they either aren't totally sure what they want to do, or they they're just not being completely forthcoming. And my guess would be it would be the second of, of those two things. But yeah, no, it, it's I find it kind of perplexing just exactly what their ideas are and and where the, where this is actually going to to go out or where it's going to kind of like end up um because the one thing it seems to me though is if they did have like a plan to really stick with sanchez in the rotation all year it seems like they'd be skipping him more often or or taking him out of games earlier because it doesn't really seem like they've they've done much of that so far this year at all like i mean they've only skipped him what twice well they haven't even really skipped him they've just sort of moved him back right so i to your point i i honestly think that it's more what Atkins is saying and that Gibbons sort of it's like you know is under the impression that they're monitoring him and with the intent of potentially moving him to the bullpen but Gibbons just distills that down to the lowest thing which is innings limit right what, Gibbons yeah, might yeah. be well aware that it's not that but when he's speaking he's not going to go into the detail he just says innings because that's what people understand 
Well, and I think that's also sort of what what in baseball terms Gibbons understands. I don't like. I don't think he's dumb. Don't get me wrong. But I think in the sense of a a, a on the ball field all the time ball player, he doesn't really think about uh release point because he's not a pitching coach and he doesn't think about spin rate because he doesn't have those numbers in front of him like i think he thinks in terms of well when they told me he's reached his limit for all intents and purposes that's when he's thrown enough innings yeah but so it's all the same thing it's just basically it's like there is a plan at some point that he could go to the bullpen and so just think of it one way or the other indeed Right. Um, the, the confusing thing to me, though, and I think like some other people have talked about this, too, is the idea of like monitoring things like his release point and velocity. Like at that point, if he's if he's basically like if he's lost his release point or he's not throwing as hard, is he going to be effective in the bullpen either way? Like, yeah, I mean, just speaking just from pitching experience in general, what happens there is that you go back and you'll what they would shut him down for a few days longer and then send him back to work out of the pen and that extra bit of rest between the starts would do wonders for his arm right okay you hope i mean he, so he so and then and then he wouldn't be fatiguing in the middle of games as well right 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 okay cool that's so there, there's a way to kind of do both essentially yep. yeah nice the trick here is you're you're riding the horse until just before it drops <laughs> Which is a super <laughs> tricky thing to do, if you ask me. Um, that's all I'm saying. Uh, okay. Yes, you. You. What do we have next? We have Devin Travis. I. I think we should move on to a, a happy moment. Or do you want to go to Strowman first as a semi-happy moment, kind of build our way up to Devin Travis? Well, well we, we'll, we'll round out the pitchers first. Okay. Um, that Nick, your thoughts on Strowman's comments after his last start that he was. Uh, we may not have noticed, but he felt better. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's still kind of like he he's he's I guess he's more aware of of how he's feeling and how he's doing than than we are. It, you know, from like watching on TV and stuff, he looks it kind of looks the same as uh, what had happened before. And he did admittedly run into some some more bad luck in the White Sox start than he had before that. But like, you know he pitched well against the Phillies and you know, then he, he's come out since then and hasn't pitched as well. So like in terms of a turnaround, I'd, I'd still just want to see a lot more uh, than we've seen so far. And that's not to say he can't do it or he's not going to do it. Just that I still don't think it's happened yet. Given the, the white Sox start. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. definitely hasn't turned it around. <laughs> uh, um, but what's interesting is that he was throwing harder. It was the first starts, his last two all season, where he's hit 95 miles per hour at any point. So he's at least attempting to do something different. So a couple starts to go against Philly, he started throwing his breaking ball, his slider harder. Now he's throwing the harder fastball. So he's trying to do something different, which is the encouraging start. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's not working yet. But at least there's a hint. This not about Stroman, but it's sort of related. This came from Cole Hamels via Eno Saris. Hamels said he can't throw his sinker much because bat- batters don't swing at it You know, when movement takes it out of his own, even though it has incredible movement and velocity. It's sort of similar to Stroman, just on the reverse. Like He's got this sinker that moves really well, and it's hard, but batters are just tee it up because it just always sits in the same part of the zone. So it'll be interesting to see if he makes similar adjustment where just because a pitch is good doesn't mean it's good to throw it. And that's the difficult part about about that pitch mix of having all those things in your pocket, I think. And and all of them are good on paper as as the the great, you know, uh I think Jeff Sullivan article last year went over each pitch and it can be compared favorably to somebody else's very very good pitch. But he obviously hasn't found that combination that's worked. Well, first of all, worked to get strikeouts which is still, I think, the central issue, is this is a strikeout game, and Marcus Stroman still doesn't know which pitch is going to get him those strikeouts. And there has to be some combination or sequence in there that does it. I, um, I, I read an article earlier in the year about Rick Porcello and, and the changes he's made, and uh, I, I think the, the thing that's similar between him and, and Stroman is they're both very sinker-heavy. And in the article, it was talking about some of Porcello's success this year has come from basically going to the sinker early, but then and forcing fastballs up. Yeah, later in the count. And I don't know if that's something that will work for Stroman or not, as in terms of, you know, speaking to what you're talking about in terms of 
figuring out that right mix. But um, like you guys were saying, the idea that he has been trying different things, and I think just from what we know about Strowman in general, he, he does seem like a guy who's very willing to adapt and, and try to do, like, take the, the best practice and, and all that stuff. So I think it this still does bode well for his chances to make changes and adapt. Yep. Yeah. I'm willing to agree with that. Um, I would also like to just tell all the people who think that his his uh, attitude and the fact that he is very vocal about how he's feeling and how he's doing and he's vocal on the field and that that's the problem, those people are rather thick, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't... Well, I, yeah. It's just yet another... It's like a smokescreen for what the idea. I mean, the actual problem is 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 yes, it might be mental, it it might be physical, it might be a combination of both, but it's certainly not that he's too enthusiastic. That whole thing, and it keeps coming up, and it drives me crazy. Well, the other thing on that is like I'm thinking back to like Vernon Wells, who when he struggled, he didn't really say anything, and he's he was kind of the anti-Stroman in that sense, and people didn't like that either, right? Yeah, like people said he didn't care and. You know, he, he wasn't interested in playing and all that stuff. So it's almost like ultimately, like when you're struggling, you can't really win with with fans and people are going to find they're going to be able to diagnose why you're struggling and what's wrong with you that's leading to the struggling. But it's, it's kind of all it's kind of all bullshit anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, it was right. me who forced you to bring out the bleep button this yeah, time. Oh, sorry. Right had, down the oh, time, and we'll put the bleep in. Well, well, one trip out, Nick, and you've already been bleeped. All right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, Devin Travis is the good news story here, I guess. His, uh, his line in May was 208, 240, 250, while he was still in spring training facing Major League Pitching, effectively, for an OPS of 490. Uh, his June line, if you were curious, 293, 322, 561, an 883 OPS. Uh, not exactly double, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I, this guy he... was one for one for Anthony Ghost, and nobody thought he could hit. <laughs> well, okay, I, that's not really the case. It was there were, The opinions on him were completely split. There was like Baseball America had him ranked as the Tigers' number one prospect. And then people like Keith Law said non-prospect because he had always hit in the minors, but he just didn't have the tools, the loud tools that people said he would hit in the majors. So, you know, it depends on the camp. The hitters hit camp, loved him. And obviously they were so far pretty right on him because who saw this? Like the, the power, they saw the contact, but the power, very odd. Indeed, but he had the power last year too, and even he was surprised. So, yeah. I, I mean, if you make good contact, I, I think um, – you know, with solid mechanics. I Again, there's that old saying, right? If you try and hit a home run, you can't hit a home run. Unless you're Matt Stairs. Uh, or Reggie Jackson. But I, those guys are really exceptions <laughs> to the rule, aren't they? <laughs> I suppose. All right. <laughs> Fine, be no fun, Greg. All right. So, uh, Nick, do you want to uh, say maybe Edwin Encarnacion, is, is he hotter than Devin Travis or not as hot as Devin Travis? I think like with Edwin, we've almost come to expect it, you know, like these, these, these streaks are like kind of part of his DNA, I think at this point. And I, I mean, it feels, it feels better coming from Travis, just kind of going from, you know, who, like when we had the, like Goins and Barney playing second base, uh, it it feels like seeing Devin Travis in there. It just, it feels so much better. You see the lineup and, you don't, you know, you don't have another black hole, um, and so I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna say like Edwin's still hotter, but it, it, <laughs> feel, it feels better to have Travis in there hitting like he's hitting. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, because I, I I did at some point look at Edwin's splits for uh, where was it his OPS for the three months six ninety four for Mar- April eight seventeen for May, which is respectable. 1200 for june (laughs) (laughs) which is just ridiculous it's just edwin being edwin you know every time every year uh, just when he's on he's just on like no nobody can pitch to him it's unreal unreal the interesting thing too is just seeing like the who the jays should sign 
pendulum just swing back and forth between, <laughs> between him and Batista. Yeah, yeah. It's just dependent, like Batista's on the shelf now. Edwin's getting hot, and you know we'll we'll see what July and August bring. And it's it's just hilarious how reactive the the who you got to sign thing kind of. Uh, swings back and forth well obviously the most intelligent strategy as far as the fans is concerned is to take the last two weeks of performance and commit (laughs) three or more years to a guy based on that that's really all it's about isn't it (laughs) wait there's another way to do things no 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 uh actually we have uh we do have some words from hazel may about edwin encarnacion coming up at the end of the interview so i think we're going to move to that uh and then we will come back with listener questions and uh other assorted things that we do after interviews around here. Uh, We will see you in a bit. And we are happy today to be joined by Sportsnet's Hazel May. Hazel, I would like to welcome you for the first time to Artificial Turf Wars. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to do this for quite some time, and I'm happy it worked out today. Uh, yeah, it, it, a few misconnections, but now we're we're all in, <laughs> in one virtual place. So I, well, we, I'm glad I'm glad to be with you guys. We are reaching you in Colorado, uh, in Denver, where I, I guess the topic of the moment is Troy Tulitsky's return to the city. Yeah. Um, how do you think that he's going to be received by uh, by the fans in Colorado? You know, it's interesting. We obviously knew this day was going to come. So we had been, you know, off the record kind of talking to to Troy about how he'd like to kind of handle things and, you know, whether he wanted to go back to rehashing that um, messy divorce from the Rockies. And our sense in speaking to Troy is he's, you know, excited to be and this is what he said on the record he's he's excited to be going back to colorado a place where of course he called home for 10 seasons and to to see the fans and and he's got still uh, a very tight-knit circle of friends there but um to be honest and he was very frank about it he has no desire to go back down that road and rehash what happened almost a year ago as much as he has on the record said that he has moved forward he thinks things happen for a reason he's happy to be a blue jay but you have to feel that there's a still a little bit of the bitterness in just how it all went down um there are some unconfirmed reports that if he had not been traded that he would have you know retired as a Rocky and maybe there may have been a place for him um, within the organization but when he was very upfront with the front office and asked them to just keep him in the loop um, because he knew they were still rebuilding the team wasn't going anywhere and out of respect for Troy they they were looking for trades and of course we all know the story from there Um, he was kind of blindsided um, when he was at Wrigley Field playing uh, against the Cubs and now that we're here, I'm going to be very interested to find out, you know, the kind of emotions, what he is thinking, what he's feeling when I get to the ballpark, because he has made a point of telling the Blue Jays PR that he will only speak one time and he will do it in front of both the Toronto and Colorado media. He's not doing any sit-downs. He's not doing any one-on-one chats because as far as he's concerned, he knows the spotlight will be on what happened a year ago, but he wants to keep that kind of attention at the bare minimum. So if he has to address it, and he knows he has to, he's doing it in one fell swoop. It'll be at 4 o'clock Mountain Time, 6 o'clock Eastern. It'll be in the Blue Jays' dugout. He didn't want it in front of a podium. He didn't want all this bells and whistles of his homecoming. And we're going to be in a huge scrum. I'm sure there's going to be like 100 media personalities <laughs> there. Um, and I'm going to try to have to carve out my space and, um, and just listen to what he has to say. He really is trying to keep it as basic and um, not as flashy as it can possibly be. Of course, the entire – I'm turning on the Colorado news, and the sports anchors are all talking about his return. So I don't know how much he can try to keep it at you know, a bare minimum as far as attention goes. But um, we will see. I know there's a lot of mixed emotions, and, and I think that's the best way I can put it, because he certainly was still um, very upset about what happened a year ago. Well, make sure you throw some elbows when you're going into that scrum. It'll help clear some space. Oh, I know. 
<laughs> I know. I can only imagine. Uh, according to the Blue Jays PR guys, uh, they've been inundated with um, Colorado reporter requests, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to please everybody. Of course, as the the home broadcast network, we're trying to get our two cents in there too. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens today. But um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of butterflies as far as what kind of reception he's going to get. Listen, at the end of the day, he didn't ask to be uh, traded. He didn't demand a trade. He got traded. So um, fans have to understand that um, he has been such a, or he was such a huge part of their franchise, one of the most popular players in franchise history, five-time All-Star, um, two-time Gold Glove winner, two-time Silver Slug winner. He did so much for this franchise, really put them on the map, particularly in that 07 postseason run. So I would imagine he will get more cheers than he will get boos, because I'm not sure. I guess the only thing um, Rockies fans would be upset about are some of the comments he made, you know, earlier um, in spring training in that USA Today article with Bob Nightingale. Um, I know a couple of his um, friends, uh, particularly um, Nolan and, and Tyler were um, Tyler Chatwood, Nolan Arenado, were not happy with his comments about the Rockies training facility as a country club. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, outside of that, Rockies fans really don't have anything to be angry about. <laughs> uh, now, since you said, obviously, that Chulo doesn't really want to address this, is there? Do you, have you gotten any sense that maybe the other players are sort of really want to win these games for him just because of everything that has gone on? I would think so, right? Like, I, I, I would, well, obviously, look, they've lost four of the last seven. So whether it's the Rockies or not, right. they definitely need some wins. And, and not to look past the Rockies, but they've got Cleveland to come home to um, over the Canada Day weekend, and they've just been raking. I think they've won like nine straight. And so, yes, they want to win, but you have to think, because they are such a tight-knit group, um, they've gotten so close together and so quickly, really, when you think about it. Um, some of uh, Troy's closest uh, friends in the Blue Jays clubhouse are, you know, Josh Donaldson and, and Ryan Goins and, um, you know, uh, gosh, I could go on and on. Um, Jose's in there. I mean, there, there are a lot of people that have gotten close to Troy uh, quickly in such a short period of time. So I have to think that they are really going to maybe put in that extra effort and really try to come up with uh, wins for him. And you have to, geez, I can't even imagine what he's thinking as he's waking up today. Um, just the amount of pressure that he's probably putting on himself. Now, granted, he's played awfully well since he came back off the DL. I think over the last six games, I saw the last numbers. He was 381 average, three home runs with a 370 OBP. And, um, but think about it. He's going into Coors Field, and he look, he'll look up at the scoreboard, and he'll see a 219 average with 11 home runs. That's certainly not the Troy Tulowitzki from the Rockies days. So uh, on one hand, you know, he's coming in there um, thinking, I've got to just show these people, you know, what they missed out on. But um, on, the sec- on the other hand, then you've got to think that's just so much pressure on this guy, so much emotion on the day, and he's going to have friends and family out there, and really the entire baseball world is going to be looking at this game tonight and at his homecoming. So um, I'm really uh, hoping for a good result for the Blue Jays as a whole, but, I, I, you know, I'm really pulling for him to have a, a really good series. And I think there's there's going to be a serious, um, you know, uh, tension or atmosphere there. And I think that's what makes baseball games in a lot of cases more interesting. You know, in a, in a schedule of 162 games, you, you do have a few standouts for reasons other than someone's in a playoff run. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, what I wanted to sort of transition to was you have now, uh, you were in Toronto last year for the playoff run. You were a Boston um, m- media uh, cohort member during their big playoff runs. Did you notice a, a big difference between uh, those two cities about how they approached or how, how they reacted when their team you know got back into it? Because they, they had both had long droughts, right? They, they did. I will have to say that um, having been a Boston transplant for four and a half years and having watched the 92-93 World Series teams in my hometown of Toronto, 
and not growing up in New England, I kind of didn't get the whole angst from Red Sox Nation, this, you know, <laughs> this pining of 86 years. I really didn't understand it because I was thinking, what's the big deal? The Blue Jays just won back-to-back World Series. So when I was in Boston, as much as, you know, I had read about all, um, you know, the trials and tribulations of the Red Sox, when it actually happened in 04 and people were going to cemeteries with Red Sox paraphernalia and glasses of champagne because their fathers and grandfathers and, you know, late relatives couldn't be there. It really opened my eyes to thinking, wow, this was more than just a championship to these people. It was the heart and soul um, that they'd followed this franchise through generations and generations of failure um, where, um, you know, watching, again, the 92-93 series, for people in Toronto, it was such a new thing for us, and it was such a joyous um, and, and, you know, such a big celebration. I really can't compare the two, the 04 and the 2015 one. Well, first of all, they fell short of the World Series, but having, you know, have that feeling of um, being in a playoff run was so exciting and so, you know, rejuvenating for baseball fans in Canada. But it really, I can't say it was the same in Boston when you think about 86 years of real failure for a franchise that, you know, so many people had um, hung their hopes and their dreams on. And when 04 came around, it was just this overwhelming, I don't know if it was relief, almost like a, you know, a, I like to think of it as a, a can of pop. Someone shook and then all of a sudden popped open in this just gush of, mm-hmm. of pure emotion and elation. Um, so, because the Jays have not yet won the World Series um, it, since the time that I've covered them, I really can't compare the two. But they're two still very exciting moments in my career. But I would have to pick, if you were asking me right now, that 04 Boston Red Sox World Series championship um, is just something that I don't think I'll ever experience again just because of the history of that franchise. Oh, angry words there. (laughs) And that concludes our interview. (laughs) Uh, But seriously, though, uh, you were hosting Sports Desk with Nesson, right? And then you were at Emily Network. And is this your first time being basically a full-time on-the-field personality, aside from your occasional uh, outside studio interviews? I guess. And I think I'm I'm losing you guys just a bit. So if if you can't hear me, just let me know. I... It is my first time following one particular team on a full-time basis, that's correct. When I was in Boston, I actually filled in uh, on the sidelines for their usual reporter. It was um, Eric Fried at that time, terrific, terrific, talented reporter. Um, I was in the studio, so whenever Eric was on vacation or he, he um, was you know, not, not, not working that day or called in sick, they would always ask me to fill in on the sidelines for the Red Sox. And then when I worked at Major League Baseball Network, I was lucky enough to get flown into whatever city MLB Network's game of the week was. And, oh. you know, was lucky enough to work with, um, um, with Cot and uh, Costas. So, uh, yeah, I-, I would have to say this is the first real opportunity that I've had to follow one team on, on a more regular basis. And uh, it's been, I've got to be honest with you, it's been a lot of fun, particularly with this group with their personalities, with their talent. It's certainly a lot of fun to cover. And I was wondering, like, in that role, right, with the, where you're down on the field with the players, do you sort of feel more engaged with the team in that position than you would in your normal roles? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask me, particularly when I was in Boston, um, you know, whenever they come into town, I, I get I get teased a lot, oh, who are you cheering for, the Red Sox or the Blue Jays? And I always tell them, you know, that 04 team, um, there was an emotional connection to a lot of the, the players because, you you know, you followed them so so uh, intently for a long period of time. Um, yeah, I, I would say you develop, you, develop um, you know, relationships with some of these guys. You get, you try to, to win, you know, um, their trust. You get to, you know, really delve into um, their work ethic, um, you know, some of their thoughts into going into game action, where in studio you would always just get a lot of sound bites and you really can't gauge 
and really can't um, formulate any type of opinion about them from just sound bites. But yeah, being on the field and being able to talk to them on a regular basis, and I always think it's very important to not only you know, approach them and speak to the players when you need an interview, but just on a daily basis, asking them how they're doing, asking them how their families are doing, asking them how their kids are doing and what they've been doing, you know, as hobbies, and just try to really understand them as human beings and not just professional athletes. So I, I am curious, uh, because as a sideline reporter, you, you often get put into the same sorts of situations over and over again where the, whoever just got the walk-off hit or the, the big strikeout or whatever is brought over to you. How do you look at avoiding the cliche or avoiding the, you know, uh, the sort of rubber stamp interview that you often get on the sidelines? Because I'm sure you, ha- you think about that. Yeah, that, that's a a lot of the questions involving baseball you really can't get away with um, not asking obviously their approach how the ball is feeling coming out of the pitcher's hand but a lot of times it's just that extra bit of homework extra bit of research I mean uh, for me as I'm sitting there in the camera well not only am I scoring the game at the same time I know about the, all the apps that are out there but I'm so old school <laughs> plus I love to score the game because it just keeps awesome. me engaged I've got to pay I got to pay extra attention so the you know the apps that are out there right now are great because I you know in between innings I'll just kind of double check my scorecard to the app but I really feel like keeping a scorecard keeps me engaged in the ball game and so as I'm doing that I'm also for example if we're in the fifth or sixth inning and the Blue Jays are winning and Kevin Pillar is your star at that point I'm then quickly going into my little iPad and trying to figure out you know maybe some of the things that Kevin Pillar had talked about the last time he had a good game um maybe look at some of the previews, look at some of the numbers going into the game. And I'm doing this as the game is going. So, yeah, it takes a little bit of extra effort. But at the end of the day, I think that allows you to kind of formulate a different type of question or maybe go at the question in a different angle so you're not, as you said, you're not kind of going to those cliched questions all the time. Um, uh, For me, just going back to your basic you know, ask the the W's, the you know where, the the who. You know, stay away from the the yes and no answers that you know you're going to get. Um, so that just comes with a lot of experience, a lot of practice. I've, I'm sure over the course of, of my career have have asked some questions that I probably could have formulated a, a, a different way to get a better answer. But that just comes with you know the time and learning and just knowledge in baseball in general. Um, because having never played Major League Baseball and never sniffed the field as a professional athlete, I've got to take that extra step. I've got to work just a little bit harder um, to come up with, you know, intelligent questions that are meaningful and interesting to the viewers. And in addition to that, do you often find that you're fighting with players who don't really want to be talking after a game and you sort of have to coax things out of them? Yeah, it, it's interesting you ask that question. And, and for, you know, Edwin, for one, I've been trying to chip away at him. For someone that, you know, English is not their first language, it's very, you know, difficult for him to want to appear on camera um, without an interpreter. But the funny thing is, he actually speaks English very well, but he doesn't believe he does. So mm-hmm. until I can convince him that, you know, Edwin, it's okay to come on you know, after you've you've collected four RBIs to come on at the end of the game and talk to me without an interpreter or even with an interpreter. I think for Edwin and I was talking to to um, Josue Pele, who is the interpreter, I said, I don't understand, like, why doesn't he want to come on camera? I speak to him off camera in perfect English. I understand everything he says. And he said, you know, a lot of the times they understand English you know, 100%, but they don't want to be misquoted or taken out of context because they can't find the specific words to, you know, describe what it is that they wanted to say. So I guess there have been some guys that have been burned in the past because their, you know, their English or their attempt at answering a question in English got misconstrued or taken out of context. And they're afraid it either makes them look silly, foolish, or is not the message that they wanted to convey. So um, I'm going to keep chipping away at it every day. I say to Edwin, you know, one of these days, 
And he looks at me and he says, <laughs> one day with a smile. <laughs> but I just, you know, he, I just want to, you know, chip away at him. I, I try to, you know, gain his trust. And um, it's either that, guys, or I end up, you know, taking Spanish this off season. So one of the two things is going to happen. Either that's going to happen or he'll finally, you know, come on camera. Because he, his English is, is very good. And um, it's a matter of me trying to convince him that, you know, fans out there, baseball fans, particularly Blue Jays fans, would love to hear from him. Like, they just want to hear from him. And, um, you know, the convincing continues. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll nab him by the end of the season. Based on his facial expression when told that he was coming off an 0 for 19 before that home run, I don't think oh, he needs to say anything. <laughs> I think he could just I, go on and do. I, honestly, and he is, and, you know, I was talking to Michael Saunders about this. He is one of the funniest guys in the clubhouse. And it's so, you know, it's such a shame that, you know, Jays fans out there, and you, you got a glimpse of it then, like his facial expressions. He, you know, he has just funny things to say, and he just isn't comfortable right now, anyways, to go on camera. But he's one of the most delightful people that you could ever, you know, want to engage in a conversation with. And uh, like I said, it's just, you know, trying to get him to understand that, you know, English is not his first language, so you know we're going to give him a, a big leash. So um, there's nothing to be afraid of as far as getting in front of the camera and talking. So we'll see. So yeah, getting back to your you know original questions, there are guys that you know are, are, are shy. There are guys that, like in Edwin's case, don't feel comfortable um, speaking English on camera. And again, you've got to find a way to just kind of earn their trust off camera. And then, um, you know, work your relationship with these guys. And uh, hopefully, you know, the next time you have a conversation with them, they'll give you a little bit more candid answers. Um, I've, I've found that, especially with Marco Estrada, who's making the start in game one. Um, Marco was very shy. And I think, you know, we've, we've worked, both of us, we've worked at um, a, a good relationship in that if you saw my last conversation with him, he was smiling. He was um, a little bit more candid in, um, you know, talking about some of the things he'd gone through health-wise. And you, you won't necessarily get that all the time if you just, you know, spend your time saying hello to these guys and asking something from them. And that, to me, if there's any, you know, aspiring broadcasters out there, that, to me, has been my biggest lesson is you see these guys every day. Don't just talk to them when you need something from them. You know, ask them how their families are doing, their, you know, their latest family vacation, what they did on the All-Star break. And that's how you really start to develop um, trust and relationships with these guys. Well, that's cool. That's actually really good advice. Um, not that we're actually broadcasters, but there are people that listen who I'm sure are aspiring to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I enjoy you guys. So I consider you guys broadcasters from a different medium. That's Thank all you. it is. We appreciate that. <laughs> I bought a microphone and everything. I'm telling you, the microphone puts you over the top. You're certainly a bona fide broadcaster with the microphone. Uh, so in your case, obviously you are a broadcaster and you've done various different aspects of it. Do you, is this where you want to be now or are you looking for something that you're trying to get into down the road? Oh, good question. I, I mean, believe it or not, I was a late bloomer. I was uh, – 30 when I started and I'm in my 40s now so I've been at it for 15 years and I've you know have had the experience of working in the United States for almost 10 years I've had the experience of you know working here at home you know I've been lucky I haven't you know had to work uh, too far from Toronto having worked in Boston and New York but I don't know I am interested in, in getting into you know different parts of broadcasting I don't know if I'd want to ever you know be a television executive or anything like that I always think I don't think I'm smart enough to be, oh, <laughs> be an executive but I I always think oh, I don't know um, I just I don't know I, I've loved everything that I've done I've done studio work I've done you know reporting I've done um, sidelines um, I've been on a US national platform I've been really, really lucky. I've surrounded myself with very uh, smart people, good people in the industry. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm always interested in something new. So if someone, I don't know, presents something, I'm definitely open to it. I'd love to do these podcast things because I'm so not into like the new virtual stuff. 
I'm so not good on social media, but something like that is always kind of neat to delve into. Um, cause I know digital media is something that, that is just huge now. I'm so old school, but um, yeah, I, I'm open to anything. If, if my career, you know, um, ended, um, you know, not in the, in the near future, I would be very grateful because I was able to be put in situations where a lot of people are still struggling to get there. And I've been lucky enough to had all those experiences. And um, I guess that at the end of the day, work, you know, you work hard and, and you have a good work ethic and you can do almost anything you want. Uh, that is a very, very positive note. Um, now, before we wrap it up completely... Um, we do appreciate okay. you, you coming on and joining us. We're, we're going to help uh, maybe you improve your social media presence because you mentioned it wasn't very good. Oh, so we're going to let our, our we're going to let our listeners judge um, okay. if your social media presence is is up to snuff. What is the Twitter handle where we can follow you? Okay, it's at the Hazel May, and I found out it's only because I guess there's other Hazel May out there. <laughs> I'm, I have no idea. It was someone actually came up with my Twitter handle because, again, not smart when it comes to social media. And they said, "Well, you can be at H May underscore da 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 da." And I said, "Well, can it just be at Hazel May?" And they said, "Well, no, because that's taken." I'm like, "How's that taken? I'm right here." <laughs> and um, so it's at the Hazel May, and I am, you know, I don't think I try to be funny or anything like that. I, I just, I feel like my my um role is to just pass along information to people you know the odd time i will give an opinion but at the end of the day i'm a sports fan like everybody else i'm not you know i'm not a an analyst um i report things that i've been told that i'd like to pass along um people tell me that i'm supposed to engage more so <laughs> no i'm still trying to i'm still trying to figure out how you engage people just have like regular conversations with total strangers on social media i don't know you can you guys can help me out on that front i, All right, I have no yeah. idea how to do that all right. Okay. You guys, you can, yeah, you guys totally have to help me. And then I don't have a Facebook account, which someone said is totally bad. I have an Instagram account because I have a dress like business on the side. But outside Ooh. of that, I'm oh my gosh, like someone said, are you on Snapchat? And I thought, what? You don't want to be on like, Snapchat. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what that is. So you guys need to kind of guide me into this social media world because apparently I'm missing out. Oh, totally. All right. Totally. All right. Challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with the Hazel May. Uh, not to be Press confused. It be. With some <laughs> other Hazel May, uh, who, of course, you can see on Sportsnet um, pretty much any Blue Jays game of the week. Uh, we really appreciate you dropping by, Hazel. We had a good time. Hey, thanks. Me too. And um, guys, call me up anytime when you want to talk baseball and social media and all that stuff. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Take care. All right, take care, you too. And that was the lovely Hazel May. Uh, I am so glad we got a chance to talk to her. Yeah, it's actually cool to get, you know, the perspective from Colorado about how it's going on and Tulo's mindset, which, I mean, we saw the first game, we got a really nice hand from the crowd, which was nice. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention beforehand, we, of course, recorded that just prior to game one in Colorado. So, um, yeah, all that will make more sense now that you realize that. <laughs> <laughs> and if people are wondering why we didn't talk about his return, it's because Hazel covered it very well. All righty. Uh, so we're going to go to the questions list. Does that make sense? Yes, it, of course it does. So we're going to start with Wheezy T. <laughs> well, okay. Sure. T. That's four E's. Um, why do the trade JB folks never bring up the fact that a team in contention wouldn't want to part with what JB or EE would garner? Uh, we'll let you take that one, Josh. Well, I mean, it's kind of this actually ties into the second question, so we should maybe read them both. Okay, Greg. Oh. That's that's how it's going to be, is it? 
Yeah, well, you're asking me to answer, so you read the second one. <laughs> what kind of player package would we get? Names as examples would be nice if we did end up trading Batista or Encarnacion. So the first question seems to presume major league assets. I yeah, well, I mean, these really do tie together because, well, WZT's general point was that you can't trade Bautista to a contender because they'll never give you something that's going to help now, right? Right. And Brian's question was, who would you get? Well, the answer is basically it would have to be a three-team deal. It's the only way it would make sense. You would trade Bautista or Encarnacion if you could. You know, like there's no real reason to do this, which I'm sure we all agree about. You know, and they have their 10 and 5, right? So they can veto any deal. But if you could, you trade them to a contender who then trades the prospects to a third t team who then sends you a pitcher. That's the only right. way it would make sense. And again, you get a pitcher for the starting. No, you get a reliever, essentially, don't you? I mean, does this starting rotation actually need help? Well, it depends on what you're doing with Aaron Sanchez, right? If Aaron Sanchez is going to the pen and you got a starter, then you solve both problems. So my question for you, Nick, is are you dizzy yet? <laughs> no, no, I, <laughs> I, I am following and, and I definitely see the the need to do that, too, because if you look at kind of like the, the hitters that got traded at the deadline last year that you think would be most comparable to Batista, somebody like Cespedes, Michael Fulmer was the the big piece coming back and he was still a little ways away from the majors when he got traded. So, you know, as complicated as it is it probably is going to have to be the way you're saying it is where um where there's got to be a three-team deal yeah which is essentially why it's just not going to happen right mm -hmm. well again maybe the assumption by some folks is is that the blue jays will have magically fallen out of uh contention well but i mean if that happens then this changes entirely right then you definitely trade one or both of them if you can and they wouldn't veto a trade at that point because why would they want to stick around on a losing team but do either of you think that the team is going to fall out of contention to the point where they'd want to trade those guys? No. No, I don't think so. I think the AL East is just enough of a disaster that even the Yankees are going, aren't, aren't going to be sellers at the deadline. <laughs> Randy <laughs> Levine will definitely agree with you. <laughs> he blew up on some reporters today when they asked him that. Like a week and ago, then, didn't he talk about selling? Yeah, and then so this this sounds like this could be a do-over too. But <laughs> he's like, I don't pay attention to any of that. Uh, that's for you guys with nothing more important to write about than to write nonsense. <laughs> and then he says, like, the difference is that most of you guys have never run anything, and we have a lot of history here of knowing what we're doing. They weren't criticizing; they were just asking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe he'll hire Brian Price when they fire Girardi. <laughs> Ooh, that would be that would be good with Brian Price in the New York media. Ooh, that'd be, oh man, now this has to happen. It'd be the best forty-five seconds on record <laughs> before he got sent packing again. All right, um, who wants to ask the next question? Because I don't like asking all the questions. All right, well, we'll ask Brian's other question, which was, well, related to. I guess he's in the negative vote here because whose contract would. Shapiro, I mean Atkins, jump on dumping first, Tulo or Martin? It's an interesting thought process. Like, if the team were to go in the tank... And he had to get who, rid of somebody, salary-wise, who does he dump? Yeah. Nick? I would, yeah, Nick? Or, well, I'm guessing it, he would go with who's ever is easiest to dump. Um, and in a I, perfect world, though. Like, if he could just get rid of one of them. Right. Um, I'm guessing... I'm I'm gonna say Tulo. Uh, it's his contract's longer, uh, and he might be a little more intimidated by the extra years than Martin's. Although it's only two years longer. Correct. Although that's forty million dollars or forty forty four million. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna say Tulo just because he's got the extra years. Uh, I'm gonna say Tulo as well because you really can't replace Russell Martin with a full time catcher, even a not very good full-time catcher with any ease they don't come along very often whereas you can probably fudge your way into a, a no-hit good field shortstop somewhere and i do mean better than ryan goins or darwin barney um and, and replace that guy but who do you get to catch in this organization right now or as a free agent yeah nobody's dreaming on sanchez that's just me i uh, think it's just you <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm just kidding <laughs> oh man, um, I, I think AJ Jimenez 
Yeah, it would is be. not the guy. He got de- he no. got put off the forty man. Wow. The catcher of the future is like the curse in all of baseball, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I will th- I will throw this one to you, Nick. What should we make? This is from Mike. Go sends go one hundred and one. Uh, what should we make of Joe Biagini's June? Oh, I, I think uh, not not to bang this drum again, but uh, you know this is this is the bullpen we we signed up we signed up with, and I think we're just going to have to kind of strap ourselves in and feel the G's of the ups and downs <laughs> that come with having some you know less than elite, not really established pitchers back there, you know, other than Osuna, and just. Yeah, just hope like hell that Cecil gets back here soon and Morales is effective. Yeah. So what do you make also, of it? Go ahead. Well, just I mean, in terms of more specifically what's happening with Biagini, I mean, you sort of alluded to this in general that like with these guys, it's just they're up and down. But in his case, not only is the league seeing him more than once now and getting a sense of that he's not really a bat missing guy, his stuff is just down, taking a step down. Uh, his curveball is moving two two and a half inches less than it was in April. Which is so, definitely enough to make a big difference to somebody trying to hit one. Right. So it might just be, just be overuse. He needs a little bit of a setback. I don't know. I mean, he's a rookie, and this kind of thing does tend to happen. So, so for those of you who haven't been paying attention, uh, his batting average against, well, yeah, we'll just go batting average against. In uh, May, uh, in April, sorry, was 269. It was really excellent, 192 in May. In June, it's been uh, 387. So essentially, yes. Everyone has turned into Mike Trout against Joe Biagini, and it's uh, it's probably not actually that bad. Nothing is ever that bad, is it? Not not with relievers, I don't think. You know, they're they're never as bad as they look, and they're never as good as they look for the most part, too. Yep. Fair enough. That takes I, us I feel, to the. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I feel like I've only spoken in in platitudes about uh, relievers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It kind of sums it up. <laughs> Sometimes that's all we have. All right, we have one do-over ready to go from you, yeah. Mr. Mr. Josh. So Kurt Schilling is back in the news again because he came up basically talking about ESPN, his former employer, and whether he would work for them again. And, well, after saying a bunch of dumb stuff about their political leanings and all that, which, you know, that's what he does, then he drops this. <laughs> The only danger is if you have to work for someone you don't respect and that doesn't respect the First Amendment. This represents our company bullcrap is laughable. Why on earth would anyone care what they don't know? Think. I know that last sentence he said weird and it didn't make any sense. But he, I, I, the First Amendment is not you can say whatever you want without repercussions. No. It's very specific. It's the government can't stop you from saying something. Yes, and these people like Schilling always like, oh, it's free speech. We have the right to free speech. Yes, but you don't have the right to free speech without consequences. I think the other thing is um, the network is free to express what what it does or does not want to express as a broadcaster. So if there's something they specifically don't want to say and Schilling is saying it, well, he's impinging upon their freedom of speech by saying something they don't want said. Mm-hmm. And every company everywhere is going to be like that. Of course. The yeah, hashtag there, brand. <laughs> there, there's a long history of conflating what you're legally allowed to say and what you can basically say in your workspace without um, dealing with ramifications. And like, I think it's kind of, kind of like heavy-handed of him or to to think that that's not the case or that he so, that somehow this like this theoretical company that he's talking about exists outside of <laughs> that space where they they've put forward values and and ideas and things like that like yeah he's uh yeah he, he needs more than a do-over i think well yeah, he, yeah he i'm needs, curious maybe, a hard reset <laughs> maybe he had one of, he had one of those companies that just ended up bankrupting the state of rhode island <laughs> so my question josh really is how are you going to frame this as a do-over what does he Don't need speak. to just don't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you see a microphone, run the other direction. <laughs> Typical do-overness. Uh, Nick, like, just read the amendment. <laughs> Learn what it means before you talk about it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. If you want, to, yeah. If, if he comes on to the show here and, and reads reads 
the amend the uh, first amendment. Yes, then yes. we'll give him the do over. No problem. We won't ever speak of it again. Can you hear? Can you imagine that Kurt Schilling on our little show, little program reading just it? reading yeah. the first amendment? first amendment? That'd be awesome. Uh, moving Nick, right use along. Use your clout. Make it happen. <laughs> Nick's clout. I didn't know. Uh, you had oh, a. We don't have any clout. You had another another thought. A gold star. Nick yeah, did. I I want to give a gold star to that bird in. Uh, it wasn't in St. Louis, it, but it was against uh, that bird that flew just out of the path of the Adam Wainwright pitch. Because I don't know if it was luck or, or skill on that bird's part, but it was really impressive. <laughs> Especially seeing like what can happen when that goes wrong with the famous Randy Johnson pitch. I, I saw that I saw that bird fly fly right by the the Wayno pitch and. You know, after dealing with the existential grief and implications of just thinking of how random that was, I was like, "Wow, that bird is <laughs> that bird is fantastic!" Like, not good only, on that and not only did it dodge the pitch, Chelsea Cuthbert was swinging at the pitch too, and he missed the bat too. He was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a. There's got to be like, there's got to be a spot in the low minors for that bird somewhere. You, you can do something with that possibility. <laughs> So I always put, wonder when things like that happen. Is it a, is it an, a daredevil bird or a depressed bird? Ooh. Well, he dodged, so he's a daredevil. <laughs> maybe he's a depressed bird who had second thoughts, just at the last split second, like thrill junkie. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe Yaddy Molina talked him off the edge. <laughs> I've heard he is persuasive. In. He's a team leader. Like uh, he's always been a team leader. So MVP. And right. a bird whisperer. Okay, yeah. that that is a ridiculous note uh, to end the official <laughs> part of the podcast on. Uh, I would like to announce that our survey, uh, if you are reading this or listening to this on the day of release, our survey for our little podcast is still open for that final day. Uh, you can submit entries to win a free jersey of your choice from the Blue Jays shop. So please go ahead and do that. We've got lots of great opinions uh, and feedback from a bunch of people already. Add your name to the list. Do either of you gentlemen have a final thought? Nick, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. So my final thought is going to be on the next three months of Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, because as a, a fan of baseball and as a guy who followed baseball for years, Troy Tulowitzki was one of the very best players in all of baseball. And then he got traded to Toronto, and he has become uh, one of the very worst, not wor worst players in all of baseball, but not a very good player. <laughs> and I am very curious to see, now that he's heating up, what, is going, what kind of player he's going to be. Because there's a chance he can, he can become the player he was in Colorado. Um, I don't think he's the player we've seen so far in Toronto. Um, and so I'm very, very interested to see what the new baseline is. Uh, you know, is he, is he a guy with some power that, you know, that doesn't hit for, for the average that he did before, or is he, you know, is he his former self or is, is he something else? And I think, you know, the next few months are really going to be the first time we kind of get to see that. Um, and as always, hopefully he just doesn't get injured and, and we yeah. can figure out what it is. He, be nice. he has been a bit of a mystery, and I, I think when the team goes to decide what to do with the massive wave of departing free agents, that, that how Tulo's performing probably has a lot to do with how they, they structure a rebuild, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Josh. Can you guess what my final note's going to be about? I'm sorry, there isn't time. <laughs> 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 Gotta happen. Gotta stay true to my brand. Marco Estrada. Uh, yeah, apparently he had a. Did he have a start last night? He did, and his streak continues. He is now his major league record streak of six plus inning starts with five or fewer hits is up to twelve, two higher than the next best ever. During that time, batters are hitting one forty two, two twenty nine, two ninety eight against him. I'm sure that's a pretty good stretch. Our listeners are thrilled to hear that again, Josh. Thrilled. Hey, I'm going to keep saying it. Just <laughs> at least I'm not mentioning in the main part. Also, Paul Schultz is back, which is awesome. Show bolts. Um, no. No? <laughs> no yes. show bolts. Indeed. Friend of the podcast. True. That's still a cool sounding nickname. 
Um, alright, do I have a final thought? I have trouble with final thoughts on times when the team is 1-3 and three since we, we last talked. I have trouble maintaining my positivity. Um, so I'm going to leave it for this week. Which mm-hmm. means that I am going to say that uh, I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at where are you at Nick? Uh, just Nick Dyka. There's not a lot of it. No hashtags? No dashes? <laughs> you can't put a hashtag in a Twitter name. Uh, no slashes? Uh, no, You can't do that either can you? <laughs> It's nope. just Nick Dyka. Dyka, yeah, no D-I-K-A, underscore. correct? That's correct. Yeah, no underscores, no nothing. Just and that. our guest has been Hazel May of Sportsnet. And we'd like to thank you all for listening along, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.